just because this area was very very productive and hot in yeah. 2020 like 2021 just wasn't good and and i blame myself a little bit like i'm better than that but we should have in the middle of the hunt like taken a day taken a morning taken an evening whatever it was and went back and explored some different spots just to see if it was better and i'm fully confident that it would have been a lot better if we would have went and checked some other spots that maybe weren't quite on fire when we got there on the 15th but maybe by you know the 17th 18th 19th got going or elk had moved into that area and by us committing and putting all of our eggs in one basket we had kind of not given ourselves a chance to be successful in those other areas it all comes back to I don't care where they were at in July or August, where they were out last year, where they've been out the last 10 years, where they're gonna be next year. Like I need to figure out exactly where they're at this year and where they're running this year in order to, or if it's rifle, wherever they're living at at that time. Like I have to find that area and be in that zone. Otherwise it doesn't matter what other skills I have. I almost feel that there's elk that play games certain ways and, uh, you know, and it's, at different times, it depends on, you know, where his cows are at and, you know, in his herd and, and where they're at in their cycle. But be willing to, to pull anchor, go to a spot that has an elk in it that, uh, or a bull in it that's willing to, to play the game you want to play it. You know, a lot of times I walk away shaking my head like, well, either, you know, the, the options A, B, and C, none of them are going to work because that bull walked away. And then you're like, well, shoot, I wonder if I would have did this or if i would have bark screamed at him or if i would have did something different would it, the outcome have been different right. and so next time i go there you know i may do something different or i might do it the same it's just like all right you fooled me twice now shame on me like the third time i'm going in there with a, a different you know approach hey guys welcome to days in the wild big game hunting podcast i want to take a minute to introduce you to a new organization called howl for wildlife howl was grown out of the necessity to have a fast acting tool to focus the sportsman's voice on issues concerning wildlife management and hunting. It's Howell's goal to shut down any initiative that doesn't support sound management practices before it even makes it to the ballot, and certainly before it reaches the court. I know I sound like a broken record, but we need to start looking at hunting as a community and not just an individual sport. And that means supporting all hunting, whether we engage in duck hunting or predator hunting or anything in between. We are all in this for different reasons. And unfortunately, it's this difference that will be our undoing if we let it. So we need to come together as one pack and let our diversity be our strength. We are a strong force if we band together, one voice, one howl. I want you to go to howlforwildlife.org, that's H-O-W-L for wildlife.org, and join there. There's no cost to you to becoming a member. How operates solely on donations, so it's completely up to you if you decide you want to send money or not. There will be no annoying emails, no newsletter advertisements, or money grabs, or anything like that. No drives. Signing up as a member just means that when there's an issue concerning wildlife management like this attempt on banning mountain lion hunting and bear hunting in Arizona, you will be called to stand with us and let your voice be heard. So, get out there. Get on Powerful Wildlife, become a member, and join the pack. Thank you. Let's jump into this episode. The more and more I get into this stuff, the more disgusted I am with the way things are. It's You'd be surprised on how much opposition we've run into from our own side. You know, I expected, oh, yeah. I expected obviously from anti-hunting groups and whatnot, but 
We're dealing. Yeah, with, I, would, I, don't, I don't know if I want to call out the state or not, but we're dealing with a thing in a state back east, and we got involved, and within one day we had like, I don't know, at least five thousand emails or something were sent out, and the boots on the ground organization that is over there called us up and said, "Hey, what are you doing? We don't want your help. We don't want this. You know, we don't want." people involved here we got special relationships with these people and so we're like all right whatever we'll we'll back off and let you do your thing and now that very same bill is we're losing yeah yeah you wonder you wonder why they didn't want you to keep pushing like this is really what they wanted or what was the what was the reasoning your special relationship obviously wasn't didn't work out very well right Exactly. Um, well, I, outcome. No. I, I know what the reasoning is and I've, and I found that and, and when, you know, anybody can draw, draw the lines. It's always about money. Yeah. It's always about you. We're, we've been viewed as a lot of times as competition and I'm like, we're not trying to compete with you, man. I'm not trying to grab, grab your freaking member base or the money. I'm not asking you to run it through, yep. through me. You want to go ahead and do a GoFundMe and collect $80,000 and then do no, nothing with it and go ahead. It's like, you yeah, do that. Exactly. But that's not what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to freaking prevent us losing more hunting opportunities, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised on the spring bear thing here in Washington, you know, how many hunters, it wasn't even a group or an organization. There were so many people that got on here. Well, well, I don't like spring bear anyways. They're, they're, you know, they're not fat enough and, yeah. and I'd rather hunt them in August. And I'm like, you guys aren't getting it. Like you no. don't get the point of this. Like, that's fine. Like all you have to do in that situation is don't put in for a spring tag and go hunt them in the fall. But some of us that specifically want to go target boars, Mm-hmm. and have a hundred percent you know id that it is a boar like we need to be able to hunt them in the spring and, and do some you know it's like the, the data and i'm going to get the top number wrong but we killed 126 spring bears out of 600 plus and only one of them was a sow yeah you it's, know, it's very, you're very close the, yeah 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 it was something to that effect i'm like well that's like the best management tool and and we're all out there for different reasons but like don't just because you'd rather kill them in the fall like don't just give up or lay over, you know, or, or turn over. And, right. and it's, a, it's a lot bigger issue that some of these people don't have the foresight to, to be able to, to see coming. Well, it's, it's the, it's common all over the place. Everybody has the same viewpoint. Well, it doesn't directly affect me or it doesn't directly affect what I want to do. So I don't give a shit. It's like, you know, and, and, but we're starting to see a trend. We're starting to see a trend of people, you know, like guys in, New York or whatever, getting involved in something that's in California, you know, yeah, where they may never ever even go hunt there or even have a desire to go hunt there, but the they're realizing that we're we're all in this together and we all pay into the same pot, right? And we all contribute yeah. into the same thing, and the ultimate goal is here is not to lose any any ground. We if we yeah. lose our voice. And that's what's going to happen. You know, if you lose yep. the, the guy that's just a bear hunter or you lose the guy that's just a lion hunter and he decides, okay, now I'm going to be a mountain biker because they took away my hunting and I don't feel like traveling out of state to do it. That's one less person yep. that you have on your side as a whole makes you less relevant. And Yep, I agree. Yeah, so 
but it, it's getting that point across. It's just, it's super tough. Yeah. And, and it is, there's just a, a huge workload to keep up with it. You know, it's like where these, you know, humane society or whoever's, you know, like coordinating the effort against us. It's like, that, that is their full-time job where exactly. we're just, you exactly. know, we're typically lacing up our, our shoes or boots or whatever trade we're in and going to work every day. It's, it's, it's tough. And so that's where like, you know, the, the organization and having an easy, you know, the ability to easily send a letter and, and know who to talk to, it, it just cuts that workload down because like you're, you're dealing with people that like their full-time job is to take this away from you. And yet we're trying to, to, uh, you know, have the time and effort to kind of fight back. And so crazy, yeah. crazy times. Um, you know, I think if we had a rewound 50 years ago, we, you know, some people may have seen it coming, but I never thought it would get to this point. And, uh, yeah, it's yeah. a, it's a full-time effort. It is. Well, I mean, the one good thing I think that what's going on now is with all this craziness with, uh, you know, stolen elections and this and that and the way of the world, I think people are starting to realize, hey, I really can't sit on my ass anymore and I have to be active. You know, act yep. activism was a is a dirty word. Like, you know, it's associated with a lot of the stuff that we're not associated with as hunters, right? And yep. it's getting people to understand that you gotta be Unfortunately, you have to be an activist, but a hunter activist, you know, and, and active yeah, for what yeah. you believe in, um, to, um, to succeed, you know, to, to prosper and to keep on, or even at least keep what you got, you know? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I'd love to get to a point where we're starting to get back some of the stuff that we lost. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. 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 Instead of, it seems like it's always a slippery slope going one direction. You could actually start to make your own back and, and get some of these opportunities and, and, uh, pursuits back. Exactly. Exactly. One of these days, I think, I believe it. I believe that we'll open enough eyes that we might be able to, to finagle some of this, like, you know, blind hunting in California or whatever. All right, and I say finagle. I don't mean finagle. That's not a good word because that means we're trying to swindle it back. I mean, get it back because that's the right thing to do. You know, yeah. that kind of stuff. But yeah, you guys got your hands full over there in the Pacific Northwest. It's like a freaking yeah. It's a it's a vicious attack, and like you know, a lot of people want to you know from the outside. I've heard people like, well, why weren't you guys more active earlier on? And and there wasn't a lot of um, there wasn't a big announcement or there wasn't a lot of time to get ready. It was, it was mm -hmm. talked about a little bit last year um, and decided to, to continue on with it. And then this year it was kind of like a very blindsided approach and um, a quick vote. And there really wasn't any time to get geared up. And that's where I think it's unfortunate that, um, you know, government and processes are put in place for boards and commissions to do what they do, but sometimes it's unfair to the people that would like to voice their opinion. And so right. at times I think we don't do enough and we're not active enough, but at mm -hmm. the same time, like some of these things kind of hit you, hit you, um, Blindsided, you know, yeah. when you're not ready and then you have to re you know, you're reactive instead of proactive. Well, we're almost always reactive. I mean, we're not actively yeah. going out there. I was I actually did a podcast with uh, my buddy, Sam, a wild initiative. I don't know if you know him or not, but 
Yep. And he put it he put it pretty funny, but it was like he's like, I'm not calling around and saying, Hey, I want to keep bear hunting, I want to keep elk hunting, I want to keep you know, you don't every year you don't do this thing. Like you expect yep. status quo. You you have this thing that you've been doing for however many years, and now all of a sudden, you know, out of nowhere, it, it it's always a sneaky attack from anti-hunting groups it's always uh like you don't you don't even know what's going on until like you said half the times it's too late and then the whole you know process the whole judicial process or whatever you want to call it of policy and so on and so forth you don't know that it's happening because they're not informing anybody until it's like okay yeah now it's here it's at this point now it's like oh shit well yeah no, I've always, I've always wondered, you know, some of my past jobs, you know, and, and living in timber capital of the world in the Northwest, uh, you know, there's lobbyists for logging. There's lobbyists for, mm-hmm. you know, this, there's lobbyists for insurance. There's, you know, there's every, anything that can end up, you know, in law, um, there's lobbyists for. And, and I guess most of the time, maybe because everything's voted on by a commission mm-hmm. or our commissioners, there's no sense in lobbying, but sometimes I wish that there's like, I wish we had like one or two guys that their entire, you know, their job that we pay for it somehow was to like go and lobby, you know, within your state to, to both sides of the political fence and say, this is why this is important or to let us know what's coming um, before it gets here. But then, you know, just the way that the, the commission set up, um, I don't know how good it would do since they can basically you know make decisions um, within 48 hours of an agenda being adopted. Yeah. Um, so you know what in 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 so many ways there really is there really is that what you just wished for but the problem is with that is it's very slow moving and it's very um go back to we're saying reactive right like they're they're not yeah we're we're not doing and and the, the shitty part is it's the business model of it all that's the shitty part is and, and they do this on both sides. Like the way they make money is letting it get to a certain place, a certain point where they have to litigate it. That's yeah. when they can generate the most funds. And it unfortunately costs us sportsmen the most money to, to deal yeah. with. You know, if, if we had, you know, everybody on board. So you, you, you and I have talked about Half a Wildlife. And by the way, I'm on the phone with uh, Jason Phelps. So like Half a Wildlife, what we're trying to do is really get a lot of this stuff knocked out before it reaches that point. Yeah. And with that, you're going to free up all this funding that, you know, and I'm just going to, I'm not picking on either one, but I'm just using, cause he's a very well known, but like Mule Deer Foundation or Rocky Mountain Elf Foundation, even though they don't really get involved, they don't lobby, they don't get directly involved in in a lot of the policies stuff. But, you know, when they do get involved and they have to spend money, that's money that they're taking out of the, the kitty that they're going to use for what they were designed for, which is habitat development and uh, land acquisition and, uh, you know, propagating whatever species that they're, you know, advocating for. Yep. You know, so that that stuff's huge. Like if we can if we can knock these things out of you know and have our voices heard and knock them down before they even get to that escalated point where you have to pay a lobbyist, where you have to pay lawyers to get involved and 
you know, big money starts being tra- transferred back and forth, it, that's huge. It's resources. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like you say, that's where they make their monies in litigation and, and they're ultimately trying to get it to that point. And what scares the heck out of me is, especially in a state like mine of Washington, is if they can, and it seems like they're making a scary move and, and I've heard, you know, rumors or movement in that direction is if they can start to like control wildlife decisions, you know, the, the North American model for wildlife and everything through a ballot, which is what scares the heck out of me. Yeah. Um, you no longer have the, even whether you like a commissioner or not, they're somewhat grounded in understanding how, you know, everything works and, and wildlife works and fisheries work and, and so on and so forth. If you let an elected governor or let, uh, you know, uneducated, you know, single ticket voters, um, have a shot at this, like we're doomed there, there, there's never going to be a chance to get it back. And so, right. um, you know, that's, that's my biggest concern moving forward is that we can at least keep this within a commission, within a, a train set of, uh, you know, individuals making decisions instead of, um, politics making decisions. Cause right. I'm not going to get too political, but I don't have a whole lot of faith in like political <laughs> that that being the best outcome versus if, if we can let you know people well, that enjoy the wildlife and that they're out there with them all the time making decisions we're going to be a lot better off exactly i mean the, ma- the major problem with it being a you know ballot box stuff and they are there in a lot of states there are you 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 guys got a little bit of different situation right there but they can be presented in a Senate bill or House bill and all that other stuff. So they can be ballot box initiative type stuff. But um, the the thing about it is, is, and I'm I'm going to generalize this, but it's it's real true. Is a politician is going to do whatever makes them look the best, and if a person gets approached by Hughes, let's say, and they show them their data so i'm going to use california for because it's easy to pick on because they're always on the fire so houston puts out a poll and they pull you know all of northern cali or whatever and they ask questions like hey do you are you okay with um you know people shooting i don't know sows with cubs or are you okay with uh, hunters lopping or people shooting an animal and leaving the meat out in the field and just taking the head. And, and they ask questions like that, all questions that every normal person and every hunter that knows this stuff would answer no to, you know, no, I'm not okay yeah. with that. I'm not, well, for one, it's illegal, right? We're not, we're not allowed to do that stuff, but yeah. so, and then they take this data and they bring it to, you know, Senator so-and-so and they say, Hey, Senator so-and-so, you're going to help us save cute and fuzzy bears. It's going to make you look good. Look at this is the data. You know, 90% of Californians don't want this and they don't want trophy hunting is what they call it, you know, and that's what they label trophy hunting as. And two of those things, two of those questions that I, that they had on their poll, it's literally illegal. You're not losing a wanton waste and can't shoot sows with cubs. Um, yeah. But they present this, and the and the senator goes, "Oh yeah, shit, um, this I could get behind this," and they don't really go further past the research that is giving to them on the bill, right? So there lies in the problem right there because a senator is a busy person, right? They're gonna 
do whatever research or assign somebody to do whatever research on it. And they're going to, if they're given all this stuff, they're not necessarily going to go beyond that. And then they support a bill. The bill gets put up and all the propaganda is put out there. And and that's the problem. So it's our job to start educating as many people as we can that are non-hunting. And, um, you know, that way we'll be ahead of the curve, you know, because yeah, otherwise, yeah. No, yeah. you know, these senators are like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Let's do this. Let's do that. That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. They get, they get the cliff notes version from their advisors or from their paralegals or the people working under them. And then they just, yep, that sounds good. Put my name down on that. And then it moves forward, you know, and they probably never take a look at any of the, the literature, what they're actually kind of agreeing to. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty Which is unfortunate. Yep. Well, anyway, well, like I said, got Jason yeah. Phelps on. We're going to talk a little bit about elk. He's going to share some stories with us, and maybe we could pull some tidbits out of him. And uh, yeah, so uh, I guess I really don't have to introduce you if you don't know who Jason Phelps is. You're been living on the rock. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> but you're big time, man. Now you're you're now you're with freaking meat eater. Now you're a meat yeah, eater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a, a good move. Um, yeah, I got to hunt with those guys a little bit, but more importantly, it was a move, you know, for my family, um, hoping to to be able to, as my kids are growing up, um, you know, at 12 and 10 years old, it was a, an effort to free up a little more time, get to, get to watch them grow up and, uh, nice. you know, do a little bit more with them. Um, you know, it was, I was always coaching their sports and being around, but I just didn't feel like it was enough and it was a little bit selfish. So the move hopefully, um, will allow us to spend more time with them, but it, it's been good. Um, you know, Meat Eater's been a great company to work for um, thus far, and uh, pretty exciting what we have, you know, planned for the next couple of years. Sweet, awesome, yeah. So, uh, yeah, if you could share with us uh, a story that uh, maybe has a little teaching moment in it, or you had a little aha moment or something where you learned yeah, something about um, hunting elk that changed the way you hunt them now. Yeah, I'll, I'll do a little compare and contrast. Um, I've been very fortunate. I didn't have a tag last year, but I was along for the hunt, um, you know, down south in New Mexico. And, and really the moral of this story is don't get hung up on what was good one year, what was good at a certain time. You, you, and it sounds super cliche to say, but um, you got to go find elk. They're, they are where they are at that year. So rewind to 2020. Dirk and myself had tags down and uh, John Gabriel had tags down in New Mexico. We finally found a pocket and, and there were good bulls. There were, there were quite a few cows, good bulls in that area. Um, it, it, New Mexico in general, from the, the couple times I've hunted down there, pretty hot in the morning, pretty mm-hmm. hot, very late in the evening, but you got kind of a, a dead time you know, in the middle of the day. Finally, in 2020, we had, we had got onto a herd that had multiple mature bulls in it, and they kind of kept each other going the majority of the day, which is really, you know, whether you're in New Mexico or anywhere is what you're going for. But right. this, this area had multiple bulls. They kept each other going. And, you know, that year, my, my bull and Dirk's bull both ultimately we killed in the middle of the day, you know, dead middle, as hot as it was going to get that day, we were able to call those bulls both in the, you know, under 20 yards. And so this following or the, this past year, 2021, we went back. And so you feel like you, you don't have to go through all the progressions we did that first year, you know, where we were checking 
you know, a spot over here, we were checking spot A, we were checking spot B, D, E, and F. Mm -hmm. And we had realized that, you know, this spot was what was on fire. So we, we did last year on the very first day, we went and, you know, spot checked, you know, a, a couple spots that were okay the following year. And then we, we really invested all of our time into the area that, that had all the bulls in it and, and kind of just stayed there. You know, I would say it's probably a two mile by two mile area, you know, a pretty good area, but just felt like if we kept pounding it and pounding it, we were going to, you know, turn something up. And what we found out, um, you know, through hunting it is there were only a couple decent bulls in there and they weren't really interested in like overlapping each other. They were kind of just content that year with, uh, you know, doing their own thing. They had some smaller satellites around and, we didn't we didn't get the action that we had had in there the year past um just recently we didn't i didn't know i have a buddy in the area that pulled a trail camera um, off of a wallow that we were actually hunting around mm -hmm. and he has pictures of both of the bigger bulls that we were hunting and no other big bulls and so it was kind of like closure to let us know that just because this area was was uh hot the very very productive and hot in yeah. 2020 like 2021 just wasn't good and and i blame myself a little bit like i'm better than that but we should have in the middle of the hunt like taken a day taken a morning taken an evening whatever it was and went back and explored you know, some different spots just to see if it was better and and um i'm i'm fully confident that um it would have been a lot better if we would have went and checked some other spots that maybe weren't quite on fire when we got there on the 15th, but maybe by, you know, the 17th, 18th, 19th, um, got going or elk had moved into that area. And by us committing and putting all of our eggs in one basket, we had kind of not given ourselves a chance to be successful in those other areas. Right. You know, on the last day we, we went up a, a different side of the mountain and, you know, sure enough the, the there were different bulls there they were going good and so it was just a little bit of a yeah man we should have just pulled pulled the plug a little earlier and not necessarily pulled the plug just went and explored um, right. don't be afraid of like committing to an area and this is a good a good tip when you show up in an area like i, I feel like we do this a lot when we're we're e-scouting or we're looking at an area to go that we've never maybe been to or we're looking at a new you know area within a, a unit we've been to I feel like people go into that just like so, so cemented into their plans. Like, oh, we're going to hike out this trail a mile and a half, and then we're going to climb this ridge that's 620 feet to this like prominent point. And then we're going to glass from there. We're going to beagle from there. And then we're going to, you know, walk down the ridge and walk back to the truck, whatever it may be. And people will do that, you know, multiple days in a row in the same area. And it, it all comes back to, I don't care where they were at in July or August, where they were out last year, where they've been out the last 10 years, where they're going to be next year. Like I need to figure out exactly where they're at this year and where they're running this year in order to, you know, or if it's rifle, wherever they're living at at that time, like I have to find that area and be in that zone. Otherwise it doesn't matter, you know, what other skills I have. Right. Right. I'm going to play devil's advocate to that. So the, Animals will definitely use the same area over and over, year after year and year after, you know, year in, year out. But a thing that I noticed, and this is probably what happened in your situation, is something changed. And it might have been something subtle. Could have been a different, you know, a forb or something crazy little plant that you would have never noticed. You know, the habitat seemingly looks exactly the same or whatever. But it's that little nuance that's different that changes 
why they yeah. why they moved. Yeah, and we we tried to look at it like you know I'm I'm the guy like I don't believe a whole lot in moon phase even though I pay attention to it. I'm like, what was the moon phase last year? Like well, when did when did we start? Like, big you know, deals. The moon is yeah, a big like, deal in the did, Southwest for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then it was like, well, what was water like last year? Like it was very similar, um, you know, water, maybe a little bit more water this year. Um, you know, looking at the ground cover, you know, like grasses are, you know, it's a little greener. Um, like the deal moved to find different grass, you know, and so we're, we're trying to look at all of that. And, you know, and that's one of those things that it's very, very tough to put your finger on during a hunt. You know, you're like, well, it might be a little different stage or a different right. level of green. Um, but without being able to hunt, you know, where I hunt at home, we don't have any of that. We don't have to make decisions on, right. you know, we don't have migratory elk here at all versus, you know, somewhere like New Mexico like that, where if you knew the area or maybe you have a ton of history with the area, you're like, oh yeah, all the elk end up seven miles away because this big prairie ends up with all the best grasses, you know? Um, yeah. so yeah, some of that, some of that like local Intel can definitely, um, plan or add to the hunt for sure. Right. So like one of the things in, in like the desert where you guys could have got lucky. So in 2020 was a stupid dry year, right? Like yep. crazy dry. You guys might've been where all the permanent water was. And now that there's permanent water everywhere else, they went back to the spots that they prefer. Yep. That happens a lot. Yeah, I, that happens a lot. In yeah, concert. I know they had a big, uh, a big rain like two or three weeks before we got there, and I actually, um, we had, we were sitting there taking kind of our midday lull. Um, we were taking a break and just kind of resting it out. I was able to call in two local hunters um, from that area, and they <laughs> they were telling us that we they had got a pretty good rain like two and a half weeks before, and all this mustard grass. Mm-hmm. Um, is what they call it. I don't know what its real name is, but basically all this mustard grass and you kind of pointed to the seeds, you know, said all this just popped up under the trees and, um, you know, kind of everywhere. So you're like, well, does that, that wasn't here last year, you know, that specific grass or weed, um, you know, what does it do? And yeah, so there, there's different, you know, uh, you try to pay attention to that. I think it's very important, but um, without having a ton of intimate knowledge in that area, like it's still just kind of a crapshoot on right. Like, you know, there were enough elk there to keep us entertained, but, um, I would have rather found, you know, where everything was, the rut fest is at. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess the moral of your story is don't, don't get, don't get cemented into that same spot and using the same, you know, what's that, what's that, uh, um, analogy or, or saying, I guess it's, yeah, uh, it's something about, yeah, the, the, doing the same thing yeah, over yeah, and over. Do- is the, uh, the same results you yeah, get the same results yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I, i'm not but, gonna ever get it correct but yeah i i know the the <laughs> idea is yeah doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results um right that's the uh the definition of insanity or something something yeah, along those yeah. lines like that but there's yeah. a lot uh, a lot of truth in that you know you can't yeah expect things to change if you're doing the same thing over and over you know you give it a crack you you give it a good a good try because you had positive experience there the year before and then you know if it's not turning up then yeah you got to pull up stakes and go um yeah yeah so no that was that was kind of a a pretty good you know comparing contrast between the years and kind of our approach um and then it's kind of fresh on my mind since my buddy had just sent us the trail cam pictures in that area and it kind of was like it put the put the bow on the package of like all right now i've got a pretty good idea what was going on and why we weren't in you know bigger and more bulls is they just weren't there 
right. um, the entire month of September. Yeah. It's hard because you want to believe that they're not like you want to believe that they're there and you're just not seeing them or you're just not doing the right thing. Like I get that a lot with yeah. stuff that you got a glass and, and it years ago, uh, one of my mentors, Dwayne Adams, he, he's like, don't keep looking. Cause you looked at it. They're not there. Yeah. You just got to get up and yeah. go and move, you know? So I think the one frustrating thing on this one, John, was there were enough bulls that would beagle and we wouldn't necessarily get to lay eyes on them or they'd beagle mm-hmm. and go down a, a dark canyon. And so I think it was just enough intrigue right. that like that bull is going to be a good one. We just have to like, and, and there was enough of that, but then we ultimately invested way more time than was needed to maybe find out that it was just a, a submature five, you know, or something that had a big, big growly beagle on them. And, um, right. you know, some of that kept us glued to that area where, you know, and, and all these little factors, one thing, you know, that we should also add on to this point is, is, you know, we try to sit here and, and talk about hunting, you know, through a podcast and there's so many factors that we can't tell you the whole story. Right. Like can't pay you, sure. you'd spend an, yeah, you'd spend an hour trying to explain where hunting pressure was at and, um, where, where you'd heard beagles and, and, you know, how active the elk were into the morning, you know, all of that stuff is ultimately going to add into some of these decisions where it's, it's sometimes very tough and, and, uh, you know, everything factors into the decisions we're trying to make out there in the field, uh, where to be, where to go, right. um, when to pull, you know, when to pull anchor and move to a different area. Um, but one rule of thumb that we normally go by, which I completely abandoned, and I will not say abandoned, there was enough action there, is, is somewhere in that unit during September, no matter where I'm at, there's a bull that, or bulls that want to play the game kind of like we do. They want to be loudmouth. They want to be in the action. Um you know, we, we get a lot of, you know, people that pay attention to our strategies. We beagle a lot. Uh, you know, we've been told, you know, you can't come down south to Arizona and New Mexico and, and hunt the way you guys do. And, and we've proven that. I don't want to say proven it wrong completely, but we've proven that it can be done. Mm-hmm. It, it's just one of those things where you go down there and you you just need to be willing to find the elk that wants to play the game like you do. If you if you're a hunter that that doesn't want to pick up a call, mm-hmm. um, that that's awesome. But in that case, all you need to do is just find elk that you want to go spot and stock. If you're a a guy that wants to call a bull in, you need to go find a bull that's talkative, a little bit fired up, and willing to come running, you know, into into your calls versus the silent bull that just wants to be you know with his cows and hang out you right. know, unbothered. Right. Um, so I. I almost feel that there's elk that play games certain ways and, uh, you know, and it's at different times. It depends on, you know, where his cows are at and, you know, in his herd and, and where they're at in their cycle, you know, but, but be willing to, to pull anchor, go to a spot that has an elk in it that, uh, or a bull in it that's willing to, to play the game you want to play it. Uh, you know, and then there's a lot of hunters out there that just, they don't care. They're willing to spot and stock. They're willing to beagle. They're willing to rake. They're willing to, you know, do a combination of whatever it is. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, everybody's out there for their own reasons though. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I find myself, I'm out there to kill a bull. So I will pull out whatever I got to pull out. <laughs> if, if I got to pull yeah. out a kazoo, I'll pull out a kazoo and blow on it, you know, but, uh, yep, yep. but I know I hear you and, and I experienced that firsthand for the first time. It was like four or five years ago, five years ago. I think now the first time that I hunted with, uh, Shannon and Corey at angry spike over there in Oregon and they had a, you know, a very specific approach 
And he told me, he's like, I'm not going to call it. You know, we're passing by bulls guaranteed. There's bulls that are hearing us calling and they don't want to play and they're just doing their thing. But we're looking for that one bull that's going to, because when they do answer and when they do engage, then that's the one that we're going to have an opportunity at. Yep. He's at the right temperature. He's at the right, you know, frame of mind or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've hunted here, um, you know, that, that coastal, um, you know, timber and, and rainforest, whatever people want to call that period. There's just so much time invested and so much energy invested on, you know, areas that may not have elk answering. It's, it's just not worth your time to dive off in there and, mm-hmm. um, you know, chase or, or look for elk that just aren't responding. So yeah, we, we grew up, you know, I grew up hunting and calling elk that same way. Like if I can't get an answer, like I'm not interested. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. So like in a place like that, yeah, I, I couldn't do, uh, I had a uh, Rene Ramos on, he's another Pacific Northwest guy yep. that killed yep. a shit ton of bulls, but he like still hunts a lot. I mean, he does a lot of yep. calling too, but he got on elk trails and he just goes. I'm like, see yep. like that. I, I couldn't do there. I couldn't do that there. I used to hunt yep. that way here in Arizona years and years ago. I would just strap my pack on and, you know. Throw a cow yeah. call, nope. throw a cow call in my mouth, but I would go, you know, you know, basically just cover shit ton of ground, and then I would come across the elk, and then I would, you know, sneak in and yep. do what I got to do. But yeah. it wasn't. Yeah, Renee, Renee uses um, what I would consider like the way I hunt rifle elk. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're on trails, we're following tracks, we're reading sign. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're looking for where, you know, it sounds crazy, but a lot of times it's, it's similar to like, you know, dog hunting for bears and cougars. Like we're literally tra- traveling the road, but instead I'm looking for where elk had ran down the bank, crossed the road and there's like muddy tracks in the road, you know, mm-hmm. or if the rain hasn't washed them out and then we'll go still hunt that with, with the rifle. And, and I've talked to Renee quite a bit and he's basically taken that idea, but with a bow in his hand and right. you know, creeping along a little bit slower and um, it would work. I just, like I say, that's why we're all Obviously, out there. Yeah. You know, and, and, and a lot of times, you know, Renee, he's he's after some, you know, typically bigger critters, and he knows either from cameras or from scouting that they're they're most likely in a patch of timber, and so he's after kind of what I would consider like a target bull. Yeah. Um, you know, in an area. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, yeah that's it's definitely not uh, something that I, I I just don't one I don't have the patience to do that anymore, um, and two. I'm like, I'm one of these guys. I'm like, I don't want to say I'm lazy because I'm not lazy. I'm definitely, <laughs> I'm definitely the guy that like, I don't know, for instance, my, all my friends think I'm crazy. Every time we go freaking Havelina hunting here, I'm always the one that's climbing to 2,500 feet in elevation to go shoot pigs yeah. and they would never do that. <laughs> but yeah. I'm also not the guy that's going to go over. Like if I know that there's elk two ridges over. I'll, I'll freaking do it. You know, if I could see elk at the top of the mountain and, you know, I got a crazy climb, what I'm going, but yep. I'm also not the guy that's going to go up there just to see that there might be some elk up there, you know, like, yep. so yep. I, I like to know where, what I like to be, uh, I don't know, conserve, I guess my feet more than anything. It's not really my legs or, or my lungs. It's, it's more my feet than anything, but I like to know. Yeah that if I'm going to put forth an effort that there's some sort of a chance, I don't want to just leave it to 
yeah what if <laughs> so. yeah and i'm in that same boat like a lot you know i wouldn't call it lazy but what i do is if i i'm evaluating every plan i can come up with like well i can go to this area but you know and and this this and this like these are the pros these are the cons and i can go to this area but these are, and i'm really just trying to put myself in a position to, to have the best chance of success you know whether Right. If I feel that like hiking the two ridges over there, because I've seen a herd up on that ridge for six days straight. And what are the chances that they are, if I go in there, like I'm going to have a for sure shot versus if I'm going in there blind, um, I'm hoping I have like a better option that's out there, you know, right. or, or like better data or better Intel that, Hey, that is a possibility. But, um, you know, these other, you've seen elk over here, 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 and haven't messed with them. And you know that they're there. Um, versus, you know, gambling on a, on an area. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't say it's necessarily lazy. It's just trying to figure out what my best chances for success are. Right. Agreed. So, yeah. Do you have another good story for us? Boy, a good story. Um, you know, my best last year, um, you know, the best calling that I've ever experienced in, in my life was, was the hunt with Steve in New Mexico, the one I was on right before the example I just gave. Mm-hmm. Um, that was for a public land hunt with other people around and, um, you know, a decent number of bulls. I wouldn't say it was just absolutely loaded up. Like maybe the, the, some of the footage alluded to that. I would say the takeaway from that is unpressured elk, even unpressured elk don't necessarily care about me and what i mean is i maybe i didn't word that right like unpressured elk still care a little bit about how you call right. i'll word it that way and yes and 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 i'm a little bit of a, a hypocrite on this because i've i've been you know said many times it doesn't matter how good of a caller you are mm-hmm. now i want to i want to put that in uh, uh, quotes a little bit it doesn't matter how good of a caller you are sometimes I guess is what I should say. The majority of time it hasn't mattered. Like it doesn't matter if I make a perfect beagle. It doesn't matter if I, my cadence is perfect. Um, on the hunt with Steve, what you don't see on the video is that there's, you know, a couple other groups of people hunting in there, um, around us. We, you can't see from the film, but right. on multiple occasions, and some of this is a little bit of my guesstimate on why or how come it works the way it did. But I don't know if it's my volume, if it's tone, if it's clarity, if it's accuracy. I, I don't, I can't begin to explain, but we were hunting in the same area. Um, we could hear their beagles. We could hear a real elk beagle and, uh, the elk didn't seem to care or answer or respond or even look at some of these guys that were what I would consider subpar callers, which was a little eye opening to me. And in some instances, these other guys were very, very close to the bulls that we were calling to, um, you know, whether I could see them in the, the oak brush or right. whether I knew exactly where they were at based on, you know, just listening, you know, you get pretty good at kind of, you know, yeah, pinpointing where people are at, where the elk are at, where we're at. And there were multiple occasions where they would be bugling. And I'm like, man, I don't know where that bull's at. He hasn't answered for a while and I'll pop off a bugle and instantly answers. Now, one thing that it could be, is you know we've we've talked a whole bunch about elk not necessarily giving up their location when people are too close or they're you know they're not feeling comfortable they don't necessarily want to Mm -hmm. to you know lose cows or give away their location maybe it was our distance Mm -hmm. Um, but then there were enough cases where um you know like let's say that guy's 200 yards from the herd 
they won't answer him, but they'll answer me from 400 yards because I'm not a threat currently to that right, bull, right, you know, or right. he's not as worried about me. Um, it could be that, but then there were cases where we were just as close to the bull as them or closer. And the guy would bugle wasn't super accurate. Wasn't the best sound. Wasn't quite the right cadence. You know, he was trying to like, you know, lit right. ball chuckles or whatever you want to, put together um i don't want to get into the, exactly what he was doing but basically just didn't sound a whole lot like an elk like i knew as an elk hunter he was trying to sound like an elk but i also knew as an elk caller like it wasn't great right and just judging on the responses um from my under, my knowledge or, or my understanding of the situation is that guy never got within a couple hundred yards of elk within the, the four or five days we were in the zone with them mm. um Versus the action we had is every bull aside from one that we called to, you know, we're, we're in our laps and, you know, I'll probably never be able to do that again, but it did, it did make me think a little bit about, you know, frequency, volume, pitch, getting the call as accurate as possible definitely seemed to affect the results in that area at that certain time, you know, whether I can ever repeat it again. So, um, I'm going to start to change my little, uh, my saying of you don't have to be the world's best caller to call an elk since we've, you know, right. Some of the, you know, the worst callers are elk. Um, but in certain instances it may make a difference or, um, add to, well, add to the experience and, and to the success. Let me ask you this. Do you think aside from, you know, frequency and cadence and stuff like that, it, it's also about what you're saying versus, you know, like, elk expect to hear certain sounds at certain times. And if this guy's throwing out, you know, even if it's shitty ones, but chuckles and lip, you know, lip balls and whatever, and it's not the right timing for that. uh, Did you, I mean, I don't know if you, if you paid attention that much to it or not, but. I, I wish I could because as an as an engineer and as a guy that you know kind of told you I'm I'm the guy that can tell you you know I'm not this is a little bit of joking included but all right if I do option A on this elk hunt I've got a 63% chance of seeing a bull within range you know if I do option B I've got 30 so I'm very analytical right and so I would love to say that I thought about what I should say to the elk and what the situation was and what I should do and I unfortunately or fortunately i like i'm not that guy you know i get i get along great with with paul medell the elk nut mm-hmm. you know he uses our calls you know i know joel turner we 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 share elk camp or elk shaped camps we we uh, share some of the the hunting summits and what i tell everybody is if and i'm going a little off track is if somebody tells you that there's only one way and only one way to talk to elk to no, come i don't i don't buy that i, I, I don't buy it and, and it's only because i, I i've seen you know, elk nut do his thing and found success. I've seen Joel Turner do his thing, find success. And you take guys like myself that it's more prescriptive and more temperamental. And I don't, I can't really tell you like why I lip balled or why I just chuckled or why I grunted or why I did a moan. Um, I'm playing more on the situation than the temperament, which is a little bit harder, but then I found success. And so, no, I wish I could say that, yeah, I heard them do this and I seen them going to, to bed. And so I, you know, gave them a, a bull calling cow yeah, or 
you're you're yeah. deriving your your what you're doing from experience. Like you're, I don't think you're thinking about it, but in in reality, you probably you, it, you already know what to do. Like like yeah yeah, you not even have to think and, about it. Where somebody yeah, and then sometimes there it is a flip of a coin, John. You know, like there's there's times where you know if I did if I walk up to this edge, there's a bull 500 yards across the canyon. I might throw out a location beagle. You know, and if, if I might walk up to that next edge the next time and grunt, now I can't tell you if it's because the weather was different or what I've experienced getting there. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it is just trying to quickly figure out like what's going to work or mm-hmm. if anything's going to work. You know, a lot of times I walk away shaking my head like, well, either, you know, the, the options A, B, and C, none of them are going to work because that bull walked away. And then you're like, well, shoot, I wonder if I would have did this or if I would have bark screamed at him or if I would have did something different, would it, the outcome have been different? Right. And so next time I go there, you know, I may do something different or I might do it the same and just like, all right, you fooled me twice. Now shame on me. Like the third time I'm going in there with a, a different you know, approach. And so it's a lot of it for me uh, is experience without really thinking you know, about what I'm saying or, or what I'm doing. It's just like, if I bugle a certain way and he hammers back, you know, instantly. And I know it was in response to me, like I'll stick with that. Um, if he, you know, if he, you know, half-heartedly beagles 10 seconds later, I'm like, well, he's answering. I don't know if it really had anything to do with me or, or not. Like, and then I might change up my bugle. Just, you know, uh, we use the analogy, you know, or the, the comparison to, to bass fishing. You know, if I, if I've never bass fished an area, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to throw out, you know, plugs. I'm going to throw out jigs. I'm going to throw out, you know, spinner baits, whatever it might be. And then you're slowly going to figure out like what those fish in that area you know, are, are, are interested in. And right, so that's right, kind of right. what I look at, you know, um, elk hunting wise is like just trying to figure out for that situation, what's going to work best. And sometimes I don't figure it out in time and they either lose interest or, you know, get the heck out of there. Or if I do figure it out in time, then I kind of, you know, pour it all and add to, um, see if I can slowly turn the temperature up on that bowl to, uh, you know, to call them in. And, you know, John, my, my ultimate goal, and, and I can't do it every time, you know, we've cow called bulls in, We've had, you know, we went silent on them because they seem to hold up. They, they hold up in an area. And so we'll go silent to, to kind of spur their curiosity. But my ultimate goal, if I can do it, and if I feel I've got the right bull, is to have that thing, you know, so so fired up and pissed off coming in. You know, he's slobbering. He's, you know, eyes are rolled back in his head. And that's my ideal calling. Um, but I'm like you, I'm an opportunist. Like I'm looking at any way to kill a bull. If I've got a spot and stock the thing, I'll do it that way as well. But if I had my pick, you know, I want to, I want to pissed off, fired up bull. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. I mean, I love, I love that. Everybody dreams of that encounter. Even if you've had a a bunch of times, you know, that's what we all strive for. And there's guys out there. That's the only way they'll do it. You know, that's the only, it's only that sat, you know, that's satisfying for them. Me, I think because I'm not just an elk hunter and I love hunting just about anything that that's not a criteria for me to uh, enjoy the experience. So yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, I mean, shit, if I can get them coming in like that's pissing all over themselves and <laughs> I, yeah. I love that every time too, but I'm just, yeah. uh, I'm not just not that good of a caller. <laughs> so yeah, but. no, yeah. And like I say, everybody's out there for, you know, there's guys like Chuck Adams, you know, Brian Barney, you know, some of these, these great hunters that they don't, you know, they, they all, I feel like they always feel embarrassed to, 
you know, to, to tell me when I talk to him, like, yeah, I don't use a lot of calls. I'm like, man, don't, I'm not judging you at all. Like that's just my method of doing it. Yep. But, um, you know, there's guys on one end that, that, you know, kill, kill good bulls, a high number of bulls are, they're very successful, never touching a call. And then there's guys on the other end that they would prefer to call them in. And that's where I feel like there's, there's no one, you know, there's no one approach. There's no one perfect cookie cutter way to do this. There's so many different ways um, you know, to take advantage of their curiosity, their, their temperament, why they're running, right. uh, you know, all the things in between, like you can use multiple things against them um, to find success. And, and that's where I feel it's most important. Like find the way that number one works for you. Um, number two, find the way you like to do it and then come up with a strategy or a system that lets you, you know, find success and enjoy it. Right. Um, you know, I, I would, you know, if I could, Kill an elk every year, I'd be happy. Now, if I could kill an elk by calling them in every year, like that's that's the epitome. Now, if I could kill an elk every year, but have to to spot and stock, like that would still be awesome. But I wouldn't be having as much fun, and the experience wouldn't quite be what I want. Um, right. So that's kind of you know find your A and find your B and, and go out there and, and hone your skills. And um, you know, I'm gonna I learn something every year. I'll be on you know I'll be on my deathbed wishing I could have learned more. Or, uh, you know, that there was more to learn or could have figured it out better. Um, but, yeah, I, I think every year I'm out there, I'm learning, I'm adding to the toolbox. I'm, I'm figuring out, you know, n- you know, new things to try. I'm, you know, being humbled by the elk that what I thought was going to work, you know, um, 90% of the time only worked 10% of the time that year. So, like, how can I patch that hole? You know, that, that hole in my armor needs patched, you know, and, and it's just always learning and adding to absolutely absolutely yeah that's i think that's the the main driving force behind most of us guys that hunt you know really it's that i think if it was the same all the time you know if you could go out there and do the same exact sequence every time and you had a bull in your lap i think after a while you'd be like well this is getting old, you know? Yeah. This is, this is too easy. Yeah. And, and I'm the same way with areas. I had a great spot in Idaho and I, we had killed a couple of bulls in there and I'm like, you know what? The, 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 the Western, um, you know, landscape is way too vast and, and big and I want to see more of it, you know? So I basically walked up from one of my best public land elk hunting spots just to go try some other stuff, yep. you know? And, and that same, you know, like if you, if you found success in the same spot over and over, like, you know, there's part of me that like, well, you fill the freezer over and over. That's, that's awful nice. You know, but at the same time, like go, go try new areas, go try new tactics, go try, you know, this or that. Um, and, and then see if you can find success. Uh, you know, I've, I've told lampers one of these days, I'm going to not going to touch a call and I'm just going to use raking it, uh, you know, to, to call a bull in, you know, he's did it multiple times. I and I have a guy who does that. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't ever touch a call just when he, he locates, or a bull pipes off, he gets close and goes straight to brush breaking and raking, and uh, that's his go-to. And so, mm-hmm. one of these days, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to dedicate, uh, you know, some call-ins or some setups to just that. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy how little like little things like that can can work so well, like little nuances that yeah, you know, you don't really think would be a the main focus of your tactics are just huge. Yeah. I, I, the first time I ever realized that was this guy, it was actually whitetail hunting was a guy told me and he made this bag. And when you 
played with the bag, it sounded like deer stepping in the leaves. And he's like, yeah, yeah. if you do it like this, sounds like a buck chasing a doe around through the leaves, you know? And I'm like, oh, yeah. really? That's crazy. And then I tried it and I was like, whoa, there's a freaking buck just showed up out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, wow, there's something to this, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. well, awesome. Yeah. Man. I want to thank you for coming on and uh, yeah. sharing your knowledge with us and uh, appreciate the the pre-convo. That was uh, good to hear, you know, from somebody who's who's living in the, the trenches over there. Um, yeah. But um, no, I look forward to seeing what you guys do this year. Um, got to... Uh, Got a couple hunts. I, you know, one of me and your, me and Jermaine are going to go hunting this year. Hopefully, I'm pretty sure we're nice. going to pull a tag. So, so. yeah, yeah. Jermaine's a uh, he's full energy. So uh, yeah, I've, I've always wanted to hunt with him, but then I always wonder, like, man, is this guy just going to like leave me in the dust or like <laughs> die on the mountain? That's what I'm afraid of too. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I've got I don't know, man. I I so I got COVID in in uh, January and. I shit you not, I think I've put on like 12 pounds since I got COVID. I cannot work out with the same intensity and I still have not been able to get back to like any sort of reasonable diet. Yeah, I felt like whatever, (laughs) yeah, I felt like whatever I got um, is, yeah, I I didn't come back at 100% and so I'm like, curious here was i get going and starting to get uh you know working at it that uh you know to see if i can come back at 100 percent or where i'm going to end up i've heard that from multiple people um you know got got covid and they just and they, they know their bodies really well but they just can't kind of get back to where they were yeah i'm definitely i know i'm not there i went and did stairwells this morning and i was like frick man i am i am huffing it like this is not <laughs> this is not good yeah so but anyway, we'll see what happens. I'll have to tie some weights on his ankles or something. We'll see. There you go. There you go. Now I hope you guys have a great hunt. And uh, yeah, we'll have to, I'm interested to see how you guys do. And uh, yeah, hopefully it's a, hopefully it's a good fall this year. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. Well, all right. Hi, right, bud. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. It. Thanks for having me, John. Absolutely. Hey, bye. bye. Hey guys. Thanks for checking out the show. Really appreciate you. Keep those reviews and those comments coming helps us keep this free do me a favor go check out phoenix shooting bags use promo code john stallone to save 20 percent, all one word and check out how for wildlife thank you very much and we'll catch you on the next show